Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is the 40 and 20 podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? Man, I am okay. I am okay. You know, uh, it's just like uh, Groundhog Day, right? It, it feels that way. You know, I guess probably a little bit different for you because you're working from out of the house. But for me, it's just like every day is the same. You know, wake up, turn on my computer. Put on a clean shirt. Maybe or maybe don't change your underwear. Maybe, maybe put on a clean shirt. Maybe put on a clean shirt. Uh, But yeah, you know, it's it's been really fun, you know, spending more time with the kids, you know, working, uh... It, it's been awesome to sort of have that engagement with the kids, but it's just totally, it's totally different. Uh, totally different. I'm feeling healthy. I'm feeling good and running a lot and enjoying watch content and all the things, but it's so weird, man. See, I have felt a pretty minimal impact from this because my job is unchanged. Like I still have the same amount of time at work, the same hours at work. Mm-hmm. Like, the only difference is that there's just nothing going on in the world around me for the most part. Well, so and you're so in law, you're I'm in law, lucky. Yeah. It, being in law enforcement, have you noticed it being, is your job different? It's different in that just people are out less. It, yeah. The other, the other night I saw only cops. I stood in some of our busiest intersections. Like I stood, I parked my car and just stood in the intersection. <laughs> because i could do that (laughs) like you can't do that on snow days right um right so yeah it's it's just it's it's been a little slower at work but like my normal day-to-day i don't do stuff on the weekends because i'm tired sure like but yeah it's it's weird to see the world around me having having had such an effect like like sam went back to work this week when and i'm air quoting back to work because her maternity leave ended yeah, but all that meant was that she retreated to the family room with a computer. So I was just solo parenting ish for the yeah, day. Right, ish, ish. Well, yeah. I, you know, I think that's a perfect time because we've talked about how we're doing. Uh, I'd like to talk to our guest, Wes. Wes, how are you? I'm good. Um, as far as how life is different, it's also pretty much the same, just in a different part of the world. Uh, I, I work from home most of the time anyways. Time zone's been the weirdest part, really, just because, um, you know, trying to speak with Cullen and um, and some of our customers in the U.S., um, you know, so emails and all the DM replies are coming in at weird times and then having to wake up at two in the morning for some important things. And so just, just trying to adjust to that time difference has been the, the biggest issue. But for the most part, a lot of the design stuff and um, you know, liaising with our manufacturers that that kind of works out in our favor now because at least one of us are working around the corner, uh, around the around the clock. Oh yeah, so that's, there's always something happening. Yeah, you you guys have full coverage now. Yep, yep, exactly. Well, the uh, I I think the downside for you is that when you show up to do a impromptu guest appearance with Forty and Twenty, you're drinking uh, coffee as opposed to wine or yeah. beer. <laughs> I mean, you could yeah, still exactly. be drinking wine and beer. W- yeah, what are you drinking? I could be, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually drinking uh, roasted matcha. I had my coffee earlier this morning, but uh, I needed a little bit more energy, so just getting a little bit more fuel in the tank. I, I like it. It's it's midday there now for you, right? 
Yep, yep. Uh, it's eleven forty-seven a.m. No kidding. That's so weird. It's so. I mean, I know that's a thing that happens every day in other places of the world. It's it's still weird to think <laughs> the, about. Right? The world doesn't just <laughs> shut down when we go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you you guys are doing well with um with the whole working at home thing. You you know I I, I am doing just fine. It, it's I'm not I'm not working quite as efficiently. Uh my office is sort of you know you have that you have your your battle station right so you're able to put your files in Mm -hmm. one place and uh i have my you know my big mechanical keyboard that's really comfortable and i have my chair and i have little things to prop files and i have a you know a giant monitor so working from home is just different in a way that i'm not totally comfortable with but you know other than that it's Mm -hmm. fine And, and it's nice right my midday i took my son out on a on a three mile run and it's like, this is fun. This is a nice opportunity. So trying to just really enjoy those opportunities. And Wes, you're with family, right? Yes, I am. Um, So I'll give you the short version. Basically I went on a uh, notice tour of Southeast Asia, Uh, went to KL that's in Malaysia and then to Singapore. And Hong Kong is kind of the hub that, you know, you have to go through, to fly anywhere in Asia. So I flew from LA to Hong Kong and my return flight was from Hong Kong as well. So the plan was for me to go to Hong Kong after Singapore to settle down for three days, meet up with a few strap manufacturers. But literally the day before I left, my flight got canceled and rescheduled like three times. So I went over to the office, waited in line for an hour. And this was when shit's starting to get bad in the US. So everyone is kind of like panicking, last minute flight changes and um, get to the front of the line and then they're like, so it looks like your flight can't uh, land in LAX right now because of you know just crazy traffic and it's complete pandemonium at the airport. So I said, all right, let's just cancel it. I won't reschedule anything and um, you know, we'll, I'll call you guys in about a week and I'll fly back then. And Oof. a week later, it got really, really bad and all the, you know, LAX got even worse. A lot of the flights were grounded. I think my, uh, so I fly Cathay Pacific and they grounded like 96% of their entire fleet. So ended up coming to Macau where my parents live and I was placed under uh, home quarantine. Cops would randomly show up and knock on the door just to make sure I'm home and uh, and take my temperature and all that. So, um, but that, that was, um, so my quarantine ended a week ago. So I've been out and about and doing things for the most part because Macau only has like 40 cases and they lock the border. So life here is pretty much at like 60 to 70% uh, capacity, all the restaurants and all that is still open. That's awesome. I'm really jealous of that actually. What's food like in Macau? Oh my God. It's so good. It's, um, so Macau's kind of a strange part of the world. They um they were colonized by the Portuguese for the longest time and um they I think it was in 1999 I want to say when they were returned to China, but a lot of the influence from Portugal remained. So like all the the signs on the street signs and um you know a lot of the food it's all in Portuguese. Um yeah, but no one really speaks Portuguese. They speak either uh, Mandarin or Cantonese um or English here. So it's kind of uh, it's kind of confusing actually seeing everything in Portuguese, but then everyone speaks Cantonese and some of them speak Mandarin, and it, it's just very confusing. Is there? So then do people read Portuguese, or do they just not uh, know what the signs say? 
I don't think they read Portuguese. So the sign actually has uh, four languages on it. So they have oh, Portuguese, simplified Chinese, traditional Chinese, and English. So every time you see a sign anywhere, it has like four different languages on it. And it's, it's very strange to see that. Like first time I came here, I was really confused. Um, but... You know, I, I've grown to appreciate it because there's a lot of history, and it's and it's an interesting history too to why the things are the way they are here. And do your your parents speak Cantonese? Is that right? Yeah, they they both speak Cantonese and Mandarin. Okay, and English. Okay, my kids are uh, are learning Mandarin, and you know, by and large, they come home and they don't want to tell us what they're learning. Uh, you, you know, like any kids, right? Like, like, like any kid in the entire world. But then every once in a while, we'll hear them. You know, we 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 went. There's a Chinese buffet here in Eugene that's terrible, and uh, but it's you know, it's like every other Chinese buffet in the world that's terribly good. Uh, and we were sitting down at a Chinese buffet, and my daughter started talking to these two elderly gals that were speaking Mandarin at the table next to us, and they had like a 30 minute conversation. And these these ladies were totally delighted. Uh, because I think it's such an it's such a rarity. Uh, but it just blew both Kim and both my wife and I. Our minds were just blown to watch this thing unfolding. And even my son got in on the action. It was like, holy shit! We I had no clue. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited for that to develop. I'm excited to travel to to China with them and have them be able to talk to people. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully things calm down soon. I think everyone's getting a little bit antsy, uh, being stuck at home, and then you know all the travel plans for the entire year are pretty much uh, on hold. I mean, that's really lucky though for for you. Like, it didn't it didn't mess with your Southeast Asia tour virtually at all. I mean, barring your coming home. <laughs> yeah, you know what? What was interesting was that um, this this part of the world was hit a little bit early on, um, December, January, and they saw a second wave. But I kind of snuck in at that lull between the first explosion and then the second wave that they experienced. Literally, like a day or two after I left uh, KL and Singapore, the second wave started hitting, and now both both uh, those cities are getting hit pretty hard. So I, I got really lucky. And, you know, before this, I was actually in Europe as well. And Europe had zero cases when I was there. And then, like, within three or four days of leaving, that's when they start getting their first signs of uh, COVID-19. So I, I've kind of been dodging corona bullets the entire year so far. And and it sounds like you're in a good place now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no complaints. Um, I So last year I skipped out on Christmas and New Year's with my family because of the launch of the duality. So this is me kind of making it up. And um, kind of so kind of a blessing in disguise that I got to stay a little bit longer because I, I don't get to see my parents too much since they live out in this part of the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I bet they're loving it. Oh, yeah, they're having a great time. I hope so. I think they are. Well, on that note, uh, Wes, we we asked you to come on the show because we're going to talk about, I think, a fun topic, but it's a topic that Andrew and I don't know a ton about. And you, as a as a person who's involved heavily in the watch industry and who, in fact, makes a watch or two, because you do that, right? I I think so. I <laughs> I'm pretty sure Cullen does most of that. I I kind of just dance around in the background and make noise. You're, hey, you're, someone's got to take the credit, though. You're the good looking one. Yeah. 
Uh, we, we wanted, you know, we thought, gosh, you know, we've done this a few times where we've talked about a topic and we were probably uh, under equipped to have a meaningful conversation. And I think by and large, we've actually done a pretty good job with our, our research on some of these topics, but sometimes it makes sense to have someone who knows what the fuck they're talking about. And, uh, and I think in this situation, uh, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't have picked a better host, uh, a better guest, guest host as it were. So thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm. Um, Andrew, do you, do you want to kind of take us away on this? I think that you're sure of the two of us, you're the more well-educated on this topic. I don't know about that, but I, I, I'm more than willing to, to step on the landmine as a team. So one of the things that, (laughs) that I've always been I mean, that fascinates everyone about watches is the loom, right? Right. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a cool kind of mystifying sort of sorcery thing that we all take for granted on watches. But we only take it for granted until we want to get those night watch shots and get some cool loom shots of watches. And you're like, oh, God, this fucking loom is dying so fast. And it's something that I've always <laughs> just been curious about. And it's something that i have never really taken the time to learn about when we we, whenever we talk about a watch we're like oh it's got super luminova so we know it's going to be good and something that i've always wondered is is there grades like is there a super luminova that's better than another is there a is there a loom that is better or worse or are we looking at exactly the same product called a different thing and the second part to that is why is everyone using super luminova every company in the watch industry for the most part is innovating in some regard why is no one innovating with loom so those are sort of the two questions the two things Mm -hmm. and and just you know that's an insight into the kind of things that i think about when i'm trying to go to sleep in the morning like why don't don't people (laughs) compete with loom why is that not something that they care about you know everyone wants to innovate with different dials or markers or how they how they create their their product, but Loom is just sort of this, ah, yeah, we'll just slap some super Luminova on it and we'll call it a day. So those are the two questions that frame this out. And we wanted to dive into Loom. So we're super lucky to have somebody who knows what they're talking about. And it's, and it seems like it's, it's a pretty cut and dry process. I mean, super Luminova came about in a, in the same way that most watch technologies come about, or at least it originated from a Japanese company from a dude who saw a need to create a luminescent paint or covering for Japanese military application in World War II. And that's what he did. Mm -hmm. And then in 1993, it became Luminova and then just kind of grew out of that and got taken over by the Swiss and became super Luminova. And in that process, we've also seen some radioactive uh, chemicals, elements, chemicals prop what's so i i believe that's probably where it started with the with the radioactive stuff Mm -hmm. um and and as far as why they chose the materials and um and chemicals that they chose i'm not exactly sure why it might have been just a matter of chance uh, or or mistake that they found that this stuff kind of glows um but you know obviously there are a lot of detrimental health effects from using a lot of the old radium or um, even tritium, I know people say that it, the the radiation from tritium is just too low to have any real tangible effect, but the truth is it hasn't really been around long enough for us to know uh, the truth. Um, and I, I think that's probably why... right next to my bed. <laughs> I might be re- like... 
adjusting that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, 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 I've, I've seen tritium tubes before, um, and you know, they're they are really cool. I, I think the fact that you don't have to charge it and it just has a consistent glow, you know, I think there's a time and place for that. I, it doesn't glow quite as bright as um, as Super Luminova does, but you know, again, like the really the. I think the reason why most people use Superluminova, um, aside from cost and you know safety for the workers, is the fact that it, it just works. You know, it's bright. It's it it lasts a long time. Um, yeah, I, I think that's. I I don't know why there's no R and D in in regards to Loom as much as there is in other aspects of a watch, but there is another company that does make Loom. Um, they're actually based out of the U.S. I believe it's Kansas. Um, but they're called Noctilumina. And um, we've actually partnered with them before on a limited edition run of our first model, the Triest. We did mm. uh, Polar Whites, Sunburst Blue, and Tropic Browns. And we did all the looming by hand using Noctilumina. And, and is, that, you... is that hand applied then? Yeah, yeah. So Cullen was sitting in his um, in his workshop just looming everything. So <laughs> supposedly the, the, the health... Uh, detrimental health effects are not quite as bad but the the way loom looks when it's not on a watch is is in two different uh forms there's a actual powder that's the stuff that glows um and it comes in like a little vial you can actually shine a flashlight at this vial of just it looks literally like baby powder um and that bottle will start to glow and then there's also like a gluey uh substance that you have to mix the two together so that you can actually apply it with um a, like a toothpick looking thing so I actually spent a little time learning about the science of this uh, to prepare for this episode. And, and I'm going to give a shout out to a good friend of ours, uh, a guy named Jack Forster. He's, uh, you know, he's kind of a watch guy. Um, Just a little. <laughs> I've actually never met Jack Forster, but he did. Uh, he has written a fantastic uh, sort of entry-level Luminescence 101 article that's available on a couple different websites. He's published that through a couple different places, but it's obviously available on Hodinkee. But it really sort of gets into the nitty-gritty and the science. So so Loom, when we talk about Loom, really what we're talking about in, in the watch application is a subset of what's called photoluminescence. Photoluminescence is any sort of uh, any sort of light that emits from a substance. So light is uh, is actually a, a ray, a wave that comes off a material. Uh, in, in the realm of photoluminescence, you have fluorescence and phosphorescence. I think that's right. Uh, yep. fluor fluorescent is, you know, we can see fluorescent stuff, right? You can see a fluorescent, like a black light painting is fluorescent. Uh, but, but, but all photoluminescence operates on the same principle, which is that there's an electron, an electron that's circling an atom of a certain substance. And that electron, when you add, when you add a light particle to it becomes charged. Excited. Excited. <clears throat> yeah. It becomes excited until such time as it, as it shoots off those extra that extra light charge that that uh i think phosphor or um mm -hmm. there's, uh so so it's it's actually adding a thing a photon or something to an atom charging that electron now fluorescent fluorescent materials give that give that light that light wave off sort of all at once so that's why if you take a black light 
in a dark room and stick it on something fluorescent, it's bright until you take the light away and then all the light's gone. It takes it in and it gives it off quickly. Uh, Loom, the stuff in Loom generally gives that off more slowly. It holds on to that. It holds on to that. The transaction takes more time. So it takes in more of the light, hangs on to it, and lets it off slowly. That's it, what... Yeah, it, it's almost like a spring. It, it, it releases that energy at a fairly uniform rate. That's right. Rather than just an, a, just a, an explosion of that energy releasing back out, it, it remains excited and, and just gently unwinds itself. It's got a maximum sort of transactional capacity, right? Mm-hmm. It can only—it's like an ATM. You can only get out four hundred dollars a day. It, I lowered it, my limit to two hundred. Right. Oh, that's good. That's smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so things like radium, radium—they uh, don't need to be charged with an external source. In in fact, that energy, that charged. light wave, is created by radiation so it's the same process but instead of taking an external light source and then kicking it back out it's creating its own light by way of radiation Mm -hmm. literally radioactive decay is Mm -hmm. creating is creating that light source so radium did that fairly effectively although it's got a a half-life that's that's a limitation it's it's like 1200 years there's an interesting article to look out the look at the radium girls, and it was this uh, these watch floor manufacturing women who were hand painting the radium markers and and luminescence on watches, and in order to get those really precise points, they were licking their paintbrushes that were also covered in radium, and uh, a lot of them got what they called radium jaw. Which isn't shocking because they were eating radioactive material, but that doesn't sound it, safe. It, it turned out it wasn't. Big shock right. there. Um, <laughs> but oddly enough, the the last remaining radium girl died at 107, so they might have been onto something in the way of longevity. Right. That wow. sounds like some logical fallacy involved in your uh, <laughs> in your in your review um, there. But, but yeah, you. You basically um, hit the nail on the head. Um, I, I think when it comes to radium, what's really happening is that in, in this loom formula that they're applying onto dials, part of that formula are these additives that have emission spectra that are in the absorption range of the loom powder, right? So um, all of that radiation, so radiation is a form of light, but it, it's not visible to the human eye. Whereas for superluminova, um, you know, in in the natural world, there there's a huge range of uh, of light waves, and that's why you can walk by a overcast uh, walk by a window on an overcast day, or you can be in direct sunlight. But the amount of charging that happens on that loom is pretty much the same, um, because it just it kind of covers the entire spectrum of of um, of light waves. So that that's kind of why. Uh, radium. The the way you should probably think about it is that radium or tritium or any any of the radioactive loom tubes or formulas, it's basically subject to a consistent and even charge, even though you can't really see it with your with the naked eye. Right, R- right. That's right. And, and they and they add material to it too as well to increase because radiation radium in and of itself isn't all that bright, but they can they added mm-hmm. substance to it. They doped it with additional sort of compounds to give that 
uh, a, a better a yeah better to kind loom. of enhance the chargeability of the loom so it, it can kind of charge and last a little bit longer and amplify the effect so at some point in the like late 30s early 40s people started to realize you know hey this is this is not good we're actually doing a bad thing here and they started looking there's uh so i knew about tritium i knew tritium came out of that test that hunt for a new material i also learned about a material called prometheum Prometheum 147. Mm-hmm. Uh, either of you guys ever heard of this? It sounds like a Marvel villain to me. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it in the flesh before, but yeah, I've heard of it. Well, so this is a material I think that Seiko was using Prometheum, uh, particularly Se- Seiko was using it, and, and it had a very short shelf life or, or a half life. So I think a two and a half year half life shelf life, <laughs> shelf life. <laughs> a two and a <laughs> A two and a half year half life, as opposed to tritium, which has like a twelve and a half year half life. So I think that there are still promethium loomed dials that exist today, but they're just not gonna they're not gonna have any uh, any light effect at all. But they they emitted both promethium and tritium emit beta rays or beta particles. Excuse me as opposed to radium, which which emits an alpha particle. The alpha particle is significantly more dangerous than a beta particle. I don't know the science of it. I We will link to Jack Forrester's article. It, it's probably a good stepping off point if you want to learn more about this. Um, but the theory is there was a, a less intense radioactive material coming off of it, w- which was generally seen as safer. And, and I think Wes makes a good point. We don't really know, right? We don't have all the all the details, but safe suffice to say it's probably safe safer. Mm-hmm. I hope so. And, and then and then Superluminova comes out and it's like we can do all the same stuff as tritium. We can do it probably a little bit more effectively. We can do it more safely. And we can make it last longer. So, so so basically, we take all the good things, and we have none of the bad things. And here you go, watch industry, you're forever and ever changed, 1998. Amen. Yeah, well, I think one of the things that the Japanese have really embraced is the whole idea of using weather, withered technology to kind of move sideways and, uh, you know, not not just implement it into a product, but actually kind of innovate on the way it's implemented. So that's kind of the downside of things like radium and tritium, where you have this formula and this compound and it does what it does. And there's really nothing you can do to change how it behaves and make it last longer. But uh, and this goes back to what we were talking about in innovation for Loom, because there's certain things you can do with Super Luminova to make it do di- behave in different ways. Right. So a lot of it comes down to the formulation um, you know, coding, layering, uh, something that people don't really talk about that much is actually the backing of uh, whatever it is you're applying the loom to. So if if it's reflective, if, if, if the backing is reflective, it kind of um, amplifies the light that charges the, the tiny little particles in the loom and, um, you know, it can make it last longer. So, so there are many different things you can do. Uh, so then are you guys are, using you know, like... Small details. Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Are you, are you guys using then like mirrored uh, plating then for, for what you're applying your loom to? Uh, well, so any kind of applied loom, right? So mm-hmm. with the raised indices, those are naturally a lot more reflective than if you're just printing it on a on a dial, 
you know, so even even if it is the same material, dials tend to have paint on it, and the layering is a little bit harder. So there are different things you can do with printing processes and changing the formula itself. Um, but as far as the backing goes, if if you're applying it into applied indices, then it tends to be the brightest you can possibly get with uh, hmm. with Loom. So so the so Super Luminova the uh, I'll I'll pe drop one more one more bit of science because I think it touches on exactly the point you're making Wes and then and then I want to turn this over to you for some with some more specific questions but uh, whereas whereas radium used uh, zinc I think it was a um, zinc sulfide they used that to sort of that was the material added primarily to radium to sort of increase its oomph its oomph um that's the scientific word the, for it the phos the phosphor <laughs> was a zinc sulfide in in superluminova they're using something called strontium aluminate i don't know what that is but that is the phosphor that is the material that is that is being excited by these light particles and, and so when when they the reason and it, and it's all the same no matter what kind of superluminova you have or if you have chromabrite or or whatever whatever loom you're talking about this company in Kansas they're probably using a very similar phosphor phosphor which is strontium aluminate but they're but they're combining it with additional sort of doping agents right uh to give it you know to give it that BGW9 color or to give it to give it more a white versus a green versus a blue they're they're adding they're doping that strontium aluminate uh with products so that means you can take this one product and do all sorts of different things about it. And, and Andrew, you kind of touched on um, why isn't there more com competition in this game? Uh, I, I suspect there's a couple reasons for it, but one of those is patents, right? Since 1993, I think, or 98, 93 or 98, one of the two, uh, both Tritec and or r really Luminova, the company out of Japan, Luminova, who combined with Tritec in Switzerland to make Super Luminova? Uh, Luminova has held these patents and licensed and licensed these patents out, which is a major limiting effect, as we know. When you have something that's such a dynamo like this, it's going to really limit the effect. So, with that said, there's a number of companies that are coming out and competing, and certainly there are companies in China um, and, and in Asia that are, that have their own products that do very similar things and the legality of that. I'm not, I'm not familiar with or comfortable enough to talk about it, but there are a number of companies that are doing this. Uh, but by and large, it's this one company using different compounds. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Wes, I, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, you know, when you guys came out, the Trieste was your first watch, right? Yeah. When when you came out with the Trieste and you, you know, you get to that point where you've got to talk about Loom, what was your what was your conversation? I I mean, I assume it was more than just we want the the we we want the indices to be luminescent. I mean, how did you get to the mm -hmm. how did you get to the decisions you made with that first watch? Well, a lot of it is looking at market trends and and kind of listening to what the what the market is saying, right? Like right now, I don't know if you guys know this, but I think right now there's a bit of a boom in BGW9 popularity, probably because of the uh, cool blue uh, color that it emits. 
Um, but more than that, also, it, it doesn't appear green in daylight, in, in normal daylight. And that kind of irks a lot of people because it can kind of uh, interrupt the flow of a design depending on the color of the dial and, and for whatever reason. But um, for us, we picked BGW-9 because longevity was what we were looking for with that watch in particular. We wanted it to glow bright enough to see at night, but we wanted it to last long. That that was really the main uh, main idea. So So... With that, so so BGW nine, you got the color, you got the long lasting. Mm-hmm. Why the color you chose? Because you got you got a lot of options in the way of Super Luminova. Was it just the traditional color? Well, there are different grades of uh, Super Luminova, right? So C three is kind of the most popular one. Um, it's the brightest, but even in C three, there are many different grades. So there is grade A, um, and that's the one that pretty much every watch brand uses, and then there's X one. So X1, it's been used by uh, NTH. Um, It's on our Avalons. It's been used by um, Halios on his Seaforth as well as his his Puck. So X1 is about twice the price, a little bit less than twice the price of of using grade A loom. But, you know, it's super duper bright. The downside of it being usually the brighter it is, the shorter it lasts, though. So that's kind of the downside. Um, so it really comes down to function, right? If you're using it for an actual dive watch that's supposed to be, uh, you know, going underwater and being used at night for a shorter period of time, like three-ish hours, then going as bright as you can uh, and kind of sprinting to the end of that uh, that longevity, that's probably the best bet. But if you're looking for something more on the dressy side that you can wear at night in a movie theater, you want it to last a little bit longer, but not be quite as bright than BGW nine or grade a uh, C three would be the best bet. And then there are a bunch of like colored looms too, right? There's like red and blue and yellow and all these different colors. But the way they achieve that is basically by taking C three and they just put uh, pigment, whatever color uh, pigment it is. And that kind of degrades the phosphorets phosphorescent effect of um, whatever, uh, whatever loom they're using. They add the pigment and it pulls from the ability to emit light. Yeah, well, it's because the, um, so the more pigment you put in, yeah. the density, yeah, yeah, the, the density of the phosphorescent material, I don't know why I can't say that today. The density of the phosphorescent material gets impacted by how much pigment you put in. And so a company like Seiko, I mean, I think Seiko is really well known for its loom. I don't think that's going to surprise anybody listening. People say, oh, the Seiko is just really glow. Um, but, you know, Seiko is using its proprietary quote unquote Luma Bright, which is yep. is almost certainly uh, 100% licensed Luminova product. Um mm-hmm product created by the company called Luminova, uh, which they've taken on license. Uh, The the things that Seiko, I mean, Seiko doesn't have any more or less ability to make their watches glow, but but they, they, the way I understand it is that they apply it differently. They apply it differently. They use different methods of application to really increase the capacity for glow. What kind of things can a company do to get those sort of Seiko loom uh, results if they, if they wanted to? I mean, besides Cause, just grade. Because yeah. Seiko glows across the room right. in the daytime. Right. Yeah, so it, it really depends on the application of the loom. 
So, um, so let's talk about printed dials, for instance. If you're printing a dial, usually what you want to do with a loom is you want to print multi-layered loom. Um, and that requires printing it, letting it dry, printing it, letting it dry. And then that kind of has a compounding effect on the brightness and the longevity of the loom. So um, trying to think of an example of like 3D printed loom. Actually, a good example would be the Sector Series on... Um, well, and either the diver or the, the field wash. But if you look closely, especially under a loop um, or some kind of macro lens, you can see that the loom paint is lifted up a little bit from, from the dial. Um, and that is literally all just loom. So it kind of creates a 3D effect, but it's really just loom to help the uh, longevity uh, make it last a little longer and glow a little bit brighter. When um, you said 3D printed, in, could, you, could you circle back to that for real quick? When you say 3D printed, are you sure. meaning printed on a 3D printer or are you meaning just multiple applications to give a 3D uh, appearance against that dial? Yeah, so it's it's not a 3D printer. So those are called loom blocks. And um, there are some companies that do that as well, where they infuse some kind of PLA plastic with some kind of glowing material. And um, and then they 3D print that or they have like a plastic mold. And then they you know, so there are different ways you can do it when you're talking about actual 3D application. But for our stuff and for the most part, any printed dial, it's mm-hmm. multiple layers of loom being printed one on top of the other once it dries. Okay. This sort of you said old, that it confused me. Old school three D printing, yeah, yeah, Just old ac- school three D printing. Which I mean, ac- it it kind of is. It's a very similar um, effect, right? Like I don't know if you guys have ever used a three D printer before, but it's essentially doing the exact same thing, where it prints layers from the bottom to the top um, in plastic or metal or whatever it is you're looking to print. Um, and for loom, it's pretty much the same thing. You're printing from the bottom to the top, but instead of using plastic, you're using a, a liquid, uh, loom liquid. You, you know, I've never 3D printed, but there's this guy who makes videos on YouTube. I, I don't know where he is. He's he's probably in Japan um, based on based on the videos, but he uses a 3D pin- printing pen and goes oh. to like random walls in his neighborhood and builds like bridges across cracks in the concrete and uh (laughs) they're really phenomenal videos apropos of nothing uh which is par for the course forever uh (laughs) but if i think about it maybe i'll link to his videos in the show notes they're pretty fun um so so yeah well the concept is pretty much the same just printing from uh, from a bottom layer to the top to make it you know 3d okay sure sure um, so there, there are definitely other applications, right? So like a sandwich dial, it's pretty much the exact same concept, but because of that extra layer, you're able to fill it with loom at the very top. So usually what happens is you have a bottom plate that has loom printed in a, in a very similar way. Then you put the second one, the second layer on top, and you can actually fill each one of those uh, indices with more loom, right? Because there's a little bit more space and a little bit more leeway that you can um, can just fill it up. Very similar to how you would do a applied uh, index. So you, applied you index is really a... is just you. Sorry. Oh, I was gonna say you can give yourself a bathtub, right? Yeah, pretty much a little loom bathtub. Where, where's um, your same diminishing thing with, return uh, with applied? Uh, that's good. Or question. is there? I mean, is it is it purely aesthetically like when you're when your application of loom density and or or your your girth thickness of that loom pile 
it when it starts to become offensive to look at that is your diminishing return you said girth yeah i think it 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 really depends on the taste of whoever is wearing the watch right because some people want it as bright as possible no matter what but like like i've tried to sleep with the avalon on my nightstand and it's i actually see a glow through my eyelids uh, a little bit so i have to turn it over um so yeah i think it really depends on on people like if, if they want it bright you know i mean there there's some divers out there that wear the avalon and they're like yeah this is you know this is exactly what we're looking for and then they try to dive with the retrospect or or the sector and we use the exact same um application or factory for most of our um, most of our dials so we know that the quality is consistent across the board but then the way they actually use the the different watches with the different uh ways of applying the loom you know so everyone has their own preference is pretty much what i'm trying to say yeah yeah uh, it seems to me like pro divers would prefer tritium over applied just because of the of the long lasting effects of tritium but it's not quite bright enough um yeah. you know i i think photos are that well that's one of the things that i wanted to talk about how photos can look different on instagram and on websites and all that stuff but it doesn't really convey an accurate depiction of how the loom looks in real life because you can obviously you can do things with like photo editing and all that but then also the sensitivity of the sensors and cameras are all different um Mm -hmm. the longevity how how long you charge the loom is also different and how long you wait before you take a photo so it's really hard to capture a loom shot that's fully representative of how it looks and behaves in real life um, but for the most part, when when I talk to divers, they want something that's brighter that doesn't last as long because they're it's not like they're underwater for th- that long, anyways. Um, sure, and right. tritium tends to fade fade a little bit once it gets darker. It's just some. Um, I mean, it it's a consistent brightness, but it's not a super bright brightness. Okay. You know, my, do you my, see the- I don't have any any tritium loom on any watches. I my only experience with tritium loom is in firearms optics and i've i've done a, a a fair bit of night shooting and have never never had any complaints with the brightness of of those and i and i know it's a it's a lot bigger tube than is going to be on any watch but sure that's just mm-hmm. my thinking in the way of tritium I've, I've never not been able to grab night sights regardless of the amount of darkness you, well, you know, you s- it would definitely be worth getting a uh, a watch with tritium tubes just to compare it side by side because i think a lot of the photos online are edited in a way that makes it look brighter than it really is in person. Hmm. So it, it would definitely be worth having having it side by side with a solid uh, loom watch, you know, just to really get an idea of how it looks different. Because it doesn't really look like loom, in my opinion. Like you can tell when it's a tritium tube just by the way it glows. So yeah, I think glow rather than illumination kind of kind of difference. It, it it's hard to describe it. I think the best way um, I can describe it is pretty much like it looks like there's a some kind of external power attached to each tritium tube. Like it looks like right. it's a light source instead of uh, glowing in the dark. You you know, and I think that the biggest advantage to tritium over something like superluminova is the is the self produced uh the self produced energy, right? Because it's creating its own energy. Yep. You don't need to charge it externally, but. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for most of us, we have that ability to charge our superluminova before bed or whatever. But if you forget, right. It, or if you, you know, it, it's in the, it's in the bookshelf, 
uh, in the dark closet or whatever, right, that tritium is going to continue to glow at the same rate because it's not reliant on that external energy source. So that is an advantage. Right, right. Um, but, but I don't know, you, you know, by and large, I think it's like you said, if, if you're doing a dive, it's, it's just, it, it, it maybe adds a thing you need to do before you go down. But I would think that the additional brightness you get out of superluminova could be advantageous. So, right. Whether well, the downside of that is that it does decay, right? So after like 10 years or something, it ends up being too dark for it to be really functional so and sure. then getting it getting something re-loomed is a lot easier than getting something re-tubed uh for lack of a better term right right you buy you know you buy a four thousand dollar ball watch with tritium tubes uh it, you, you, that thing's eventually 12 and a half year half-life right so uh yeah. it's going to be half as bright in 12 and a half years and then and then half again is bright in another 12 and a half i mean eventually it's just not going to be effective at, at providing limits. yeah exactly so well so there's 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 one other uh method of illumination that i think deserves our mention because it's a good one andrew and i have both talked about it quite a bit uh but indiglo I, I, indiglo uh you, you know that's sort of I I think the the elephant in the room when we talk to talk about loom because it's this extremely effective, obviously limited to quartz watches because you need a battery. You you need a battery to create the hundred hundred to two hundred volts of energy necessary to light up Indiglo. Uh, but Indiglo does what it does with almost with next to no degradation over time. With a hundred percent flick of you know literally press of a button capacity anytime you want it, you wake up at four in the morning, you want to know what time it is. There's probably no more effective method in that scenario of being able to see your watch um, short of a, a, a light by the bedstand, um, which your wife would be really really unhappy with, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but but Indiglo does does it's the same scientific principle, right? It it is a phosphorescent material that instead of getting its instead of getting its additional uh excitement from an external source or from radiation, it's not it's not radiation. I mean it's radiation. an external source. It, it is it that's right, but it's not an external light source. It's actually charged by the onboard battery, which applies, you, you know, and, and these watch batteries are like one and a half volts, right? We're not talking about a, a hundred and fifty volt battery. It's a one and a half volt battery that's transformed ten, you know, hundred to one to create enough a hundred and fifty volts to power this phosphor coated piece of glass and lights up, but using the same principle. Uh, you, you know, so if we're going to have a loom conversation, we should talk about Indiglo. Andrew, do you have thoughts? I love Indiglo because I, right. one of the things that, <laughs> cause I, I mean, frankly, I love digital watches. I mean, in, in my world, I like watches that I can destroy and not feel bad about and watches that are going to survive all the horrible things that I do to them. It's also nice to not have something constantly glowing off my wrist. And it's nice to know that no matter what, when I pinch my watch, I'm going to get a full view of 
everything on the dial. Because one of the things that I think is limiting about loom on watches is that you're only going to get where the loom is applied. I've never seen a loomed date wheel. And for someone like me, it's important to know if is it in what day it is because I'm, I'm forgetful. I'm stupid. I need to see the date every time I, can I look confirm, at my watch. I can confirm that you're stupid. Yes. No, no, no. We know that. I mean, <laughs> and, and so can you, like everyone on this call can confirm that I'm a dummy, <laughs> which means that when I look at my watch, I don't just look at my watch for the date. I look at my watch two times. I look at my watch to know the time of day, and then I look at my watch for the date. It's two transactions for me to get a time date group. I love Indiglo. Love it. And I totally know love that it. it's not something that can ever happen for any of my analog watches. But well, I think it, it, I Timex think it does Indiglo in analog watches. They they have the ability. You, you just need a quartz battery. You need that quartz battery. That'd be pretty cool to push the crown. Like. It, My easy reader but, has Indiglow. But what I'm saying is that it, it would be a cool functionality to have a mechanical watch that's the mm. battery in its sole function is to power your Indiglow. Yeah. All right. Next watch, Wes. That's <laughs> we, yeah, we, we we've set the gauntlet for you. As you guys were you, speaking, I was literally thinking, where in the case <laughs> could we fit a little battery? Because uh, right. that becomes a dress watch that also has yeah. loom. It, it just immediately because yeah. that's something that I, it bums me out when I can't view the time when I'm wearing a dress watch. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, you we run into the same issues with innovation on Indiglo that we do that we do with with Loom, right? You, you've got patents. Timex has a patent for Indiglo. I know that Casio has their EL backlight, which is very similar. I don't. I'm sure there are differences, but they've managed. It, it's not as effective. You don't think? I don't think so. My my G. It hammers light across the dial. Uh, my EL backlit G-Shock, the whole thing lights up. It's not like the the lights from the sides. Uh, it, it's actually oh, yeah. a, it's actually backlit. So I, I know that there's competing technology, but there's there's probably a couple things happening. There's probably a bunch of companies say we don't care that much to do this. Really, Casio and Timex are the companies making m- mm-hmm. making digital watches, right? Um, so, so there's probably a lack of need. The companies that have it need the companies that need it have it. Um, but, but also those patents are, are going to be disruptive. So, so who knows, you know, I, I think probably licensing from Timex, licensing Indiglo from Timex or, or you know, backlight. Yeah. yeah I, I can't imagine that for a small company, that's going to be feasible. So, so we're getting a little long. I just have one, one more question I want to ask before we move on into our other things is Wes, you guys have been really innovative. I'm wondering why not loom? Like why did you guys accept the status quo in the loom world? And, and I think it's, it's probably reasonable for you to speak for the majority of small brands in this, Mm -hmm. in this question, because I think you guys have all faced the same issue. Why, why not innovate? in the loom world is it just that the product that's available is so good so affordable so reliable or is it that it's just not it's worth innovating in other realms before you innovate in loom because loom is so easily overlooked so there are a few layers to that question um i i think 
we so we have to break it down a little bit in in regards to the loom itself and the actual material uh, and the science of how it works and formulation and all that r and d would take a long time um and the cost would be really high, right? To mm-hmm. not only get the raw materials, but you, you have to get the ovens, the testing equipment, lab space, uh, fume hoods, um, you know, just, just things to make it safe to handle this kind of stuff. Like I was saying earlier with the Triest uh, limited edition that Cullen was looming, he did it all by hand, but, you know, he, he would call me at the end of the day and just say, dude, I have a crazy headache. I'm probably going to die tomorrow from all of this loom. <laughs> Um, and this isn't even creating the loom itself. This is, yeah, it was literally just from mixing it with, um, with the actual glue and, um, you know, the, the fumes and all that stuff. We didn't have a proper fume hood. We literally just put a fan on a window and opened the window. So that probably is not the greatest idea. Good enough. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but, um, so, so yeah, I think the cost is very prohibitive in terms of, um, innovation. Um, I mentioned earlier a company called uh, Noctilumina, right? And um, they they do make their own loom. Um, it it is really good. The only problem is that the actual size of the particles and the crystals are a little bit bigger than Superluminova, and because of that, it doesn't last quite as long as Superluminova. So the absorption rate of mm. of the actual light and all that. I'm sure there's a lot more science that that someone smarter than I am can talk about. But for the most part, as, as far as how it functions, it was brighter, but didn't last as long. So what, there Wes, are do companies you know if, out there. Yeah. Do you, do you know if they're using strontium aluminate? Do you, are they using the same sort of base phos, phosphate? Phosphate? Uh, they, Phos- they, don't, they don't make that information <laughs> public, but I spoke to a couple of my chemical engineering friends and they said, yeah, chances are they're using the same thing uh, because it behaves in a very similar way. And... You know, the as far as patents go, I'm pretty sure that the Superluminova patent has expired. So now it's really just a matter of experimentation on getting the right formulation down of the materials that you know are in this stuff anyways. Um, but I, I do believe that there are ways to innovate in terms of application. So I know NTH has been doing some custom formulation by mixing different looms. Um he also loomed his crown, which I guess is kind of an innovative thing to do. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily super functional, um, especially for for a dive watch. But it is, it's kind of cool. It looks nice. It's cool. Uh, and then yeah, the, yeah I mean, it's cool. That's what there, watches are. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then there are different things you can do on top of loom to make it last a little bit longer in terms of wear and tear. Uh, so w- one thing that I noticed with ceramic bezels in particular is that the loom tends to fall out because loom isn't necessarily what you'd consider a hardy material. It, if you expose it to the elements, literally within a year, it'll start to age or fall out and crack and um, you know all, all types of shit that you don't want to happen, especially if it's a functional watch. But there are different types of enamels you can put over loom. Um, so an example of that would be the Avalon. And I know you guys took uh, took a took a look at an Avalon a while back, but if you look very closely, there's a bit of a glossy layer over the top, and that's kind of uh, ju- just a protective layer to make sure that the loom stays where it is for a long time. Um, and also, we don't want it to age and turn yellow like a lot of exposed loom tends to do. And then you mentioned earlier about a date wheel that's loomed. So I believe I, I might be wrong, but I believe Visitor has done that before. Um, they they're, would they're, be the ones, right? What, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Phil's a great guy, super talented designer, and he he would be the one that does something crazy innovative like that. 
Sure. But what we found, because we, we have tried it before, but what we found was that in order for the loom to be functional, right? So that is bright enough and long lasting enough, we need it to be applied thick enough. And the clearance on the underside of the dial isn't enough for us to print it thick enough where it glows, mm -hmm. right? So if, if we do print it thick enough, it ends up rubbing against that underside of, uh, of the dial and it ends up cracking and falling off, sort of like an exposed loom on a bezel. Sure. And if we don't apply it thick enough, it just doesn't glow. You, you really have to blast it with a strong UV light to charge it up. So sure. now what it comes down to is really just the formula itself. And if we can nail a formula that's bright enough uh, at, at lighter applications, then that's probably what we would do uh, to, to loom it. So it sounds like you just need to lock Cullen in a basement and give him a bunch of loom and... <laughs> well it's a, it's a good time for him to be doing that now because of how quiet yeah. everything is so that's uh so he's the the loom goblin right now well, well you, you know we obviously haven't exhausted the issue but um i think that's probably a decent enough time to leave loom for today uh obviously if you have questions go feel free to feel free to reach out and connect with us on the on the gram and and, and mm -hmm. send those out and uh you, you know, probably a better source would be would be someone like Wes from Notice uh, for that information. But we're we're happy we're happy to field those questions to the extent we can. Uh, other things, Andrew, go. I got one. Good. About a hot sauce that I've <laughs> uh, that I've had several times. I think we've both had. I'm, at least I'm pretty sure you've had it. It's El Yucateco extra hot, triple X hot. And I've I, had that. I saw it at the grocery store the other. I burped because I've been drinking beer. Um, so I saw it at the grocery store when I was uh, I was there to buy dog food. So I, I mean, obviously I went through the hot sauce section and I saw El Yucateco and I was like, ah, duh, I'm gonna get this. Um, El Yucateco is my other thing, but here's what I did with my El Yucateco last night. I <laughs> I poured it in a bowl, like probably two tablespoons of it in a bowl. And Sam was so generous and got just regular flaming hot Cheetos the other day. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So I was dunking my flaming hots in the El yes. Yucateco. Oh my God. It yes. was amazing. I've never dunked hot chips in just hot sauce before. I don't know why I haven't. And I think I will forever and always be doing this. I'm going to have El Yucateco like on draft at my house just for chip application. It have is you so ever had good. those? Have you ever had those those fried uh, wheels? They're fried. They're fried like uh, dough wheels. I think that they have like a pork fat base that they sell them at like the Mexican food trucks. They're it's Do a they bag. Look like tomatoes. They're called duros, yes. Yeah. Yes, they look like tomatoes. And when you order them, they will coat them in hot sauce and lime and shake them up for you. Have you ever had that? I've not had that, but I had uh, Cool Ranch Doritos with Cholula and shaken up like that. Exactly the same. Yeah, exactly the same. And it's magical. So it's El Yucateco, as, as, a, as an other thing, is a hot sauce that some of you may or may not be familiar with. It has made its appearances on Hot Ones. It is a habanero-based hot sauce out of a company from Mexico. 
and what I could find on it was that it's like in the neighborhood of 10 to 50,000 Scoville, which isn't a very precise measurement, but it's it's so flavorful. It has all the sweetness yeah. and brightness that you want out of habanero, but it's got that nice like punch heat out of a habanero. It's killer. It was like $3. Have you guys tried any of the um the the other like the higher end of the spectrum on the hot ones? So like Mad Dog or even the hot ones sauce itself? I haven't had the the what's it called like Blair's Megadeth or whatever that one is. But I had mm-hmm. Da Bomb. Da Bomb wasn't a hey, so a couple things about Da Bomb. Number one, it wasn't that spicy. It was hot, but it wasn't like debilitating. Like I've, I've how many I've seen so many people try a wing coated in Da Bomb, and just go into paralysis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I coated a wing pretty heavily in Da Bomb. I probably I mean I had a regular ass chicken wing and I put about a tablespoon maybe some change of Da Bomb onto mm-hmm. my wing, and it it was just it. It kind of reminded me of Chipotle. It was just super, super smoky and then super, super vinegar. It wasn't hmm. good. Yeah, nor it's not was good. It, nor was it like sweat inducing. I was really disappointed, especially for how many people I've seen brought to their knees by Da Bomb. So I, I've had the the Blair's Megadeth and I've also had the 357. I'm blanking on the... the I'm blank. Mad Dog, isn't that what it's called? Yeah, Mad the three fifty seven Mad yeah. Dog. So, and those are both uh, very very spicy. The I also keep a bottle in the fridge uh, from Pucker Butt. It's their the truth right there. It, it's it's about two times as spicy as either one of those Blair's Megadeth or the other. And oh, uh, you you know I do enjoy it. I re I actually really enjoy it. But I have recently on more than one occasion, wrecked myself for a number of hours uh, in consuming it. So I've got to be, I mean, at some point you think, is this worth it? I I enjoy the flavor. (laughs) I enjoy the eating process. Um, We've talked about this on the show. There's three phases to hot sauce. There's phase one, which is the mouth. There's phase two, which is the guts. And there's phase three, which is the the getting rid of it. The butthole. The butthole. Pucker butt. Yeah. Pucker butt. The sting ring. So (laughs) I, I... I, I'm at the point where phase one and phase three are okay, but phase two, I've my body has has ye, has not yielded to the process. So phase two can be a little brutal for me, and so I, I've got to be sent. Like this has to make sense. I've got to have about twelve hours, fourteen hours <laughs> to deal with this. To deal with this, that's unfortunate. Uh, I, I'm just a phase three victim. And I sure. might have, I think I have undiagnosed IBS anyway. So I'm like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so I've got another thing. Do me. I've got another thing. So we've got a great listener, uh, someone who's been with us from very early on in this process, uh, in this game. His Instagram handle is Hey Matthew. Hey Matthew. Uh, he, hey. He's a graphic designer, he uh, does fantastic drawings. Uh, and in addition, in addition to fantastic drunks, he's also a pen addict, which I myself am a hashtag pen addict. Uh, and, and so uh, I've had a number of great conversations with with Matthew uh, Matt, Matthew Morse is his name uh, over the last few years. And I was talking to Matthew about pens recently. You know, uh, in fact, I'd asked him for some advice. I said, "Hey, you know, I, I've got these pens. Anything else 
that you think I should be trying. And so he sent me some ideas. So I ordered some pens and then I sent him just a screenshot like, hey, I ordered those things, you know, like, uh, you, you know how you do. Oh, look, got them coming. Uh, and he was like, oh, you know what? If you're in and I'd purchased a pen case at the same time, a Japanese pen case, which I still don't have because whatever. Yep. Uh, and he was like, hey, you know, I'm really good friends with the guys at Knock Company, N-O-C-K Co., uh, and they've sent me some, just some samples over the years. I've got some extra stuff. Uh, let me send you some stuff. And so he sent me this fantastic gift package. Uh, it had a, uh, a, a couple of different pen cases and, um, and, and he sent me like a pencil and, uh, and this great wood block. But one of the things he sent me was this pen case from Not Company. And I've got the name of it right here. He sent me two of them. He sent me one a brass town zip roll pen case and he also sent me a Tallulah zip two pen case and so when i got it i, I hadn't seen these things uh and and i just got a package and when i got it he says hey this Tallulah pen case can second as a watch roll it's got Whoa. sort of a big business card it, it looks like a pen case right it's like a right. zipper pen case on one side, it's got like a business card slot. And on the other side, it's got two sort of pen holder slots. And he says one of the pen holder slots is easily big enough to hold a 20 millimeter or a 22 millimeter NATO. And the business card side is perfect for holding a watch. And so I, well, shit, let me try this out. Sure enough, I grabbed my Speedmaster and I grabbed a NATO. And I stuffed him in, and I was like, this is the coolest watch roll I've ever seen. So a single watch roll. So say you're traveling. This is this is what popped into my head. So say I'm traveling, and I just want to take the one watch on my wrist and another watch and maybe a NATO strap. So I'm going to take uh, my Nota Sector dive watch, which I'm a proud owner of. Uh, I'm going to take an Omega Speedmaster, and uh, I'm going to take a, a NATO strap just to have in case I want to throw one of these on a NATO. And... I'm going to take a watch strap, a, a strap change tool, because I'm going to need to take these bracelets off to put the NATO on, obviously. Perfect. It is, like, purpose-made for this. There's plenty of protection. Everything's very well padded and protected. The materials are grade A. The zippers are phenomenal. It is, it, it's purpose-made for business cards and pens, and it just happens to be the coolest, most effective single watch watch traveling case i've ever I've it's got to be super padded because they're planning on ink leaks and they don't want it to get anywhere else that's genius it's awesome it, it's awesome so the Tallulah from knock company is my other thing for the week i recommend you check it out I, i'll post a I'll, I'll post a picture on our instagram i posted one in our story a couple days ago of of this thing uh but i'll i'll actually take a picture and put it up on the page so you can see it um yeah fantastic highly recommended not company Tallulah as a single watch traveling case Wes I know you're in Macau what have you been doing what's your other thing go so being stuck at home for so long you can only watch so much Netflix before you uh, start to feel your brain cave in uh, nah. <laughs> generally I'm, I'm I'm the type of guy that likes to be using my brain a little bit more as opposed to sitting back and you know just blindly absorbing stuff from a screen so i've been 
learning and transcribing John Mayer's Instagram posts on um, on his. So so he does a lot of these like uh, guitar lessons or just like jams on Instagram. So the thing is, I only have a acoustic guitar here, so I've been doing it on an acoustic. All all this like weird electric stuff that he's doing. Um, but yeah, basically just transcribing all of these Instagram live or Instagram post uh, videos and a lot of the live stuff that he does as well. Uh, there are a lot of people that post that on Instagram. So I'm just finding all of them and transcribing his solos or his warm ups or any of that stuff. Um, and the guitar I'm doing it on is actually a brand new one. So my girlfriend, um, she's in L.A. Her brother was in Shenzhen, which is about an hour away. He was there two months ago and he sends me a message saying, hey, my old spot, he's a musician. My old sponsor offered me a, uh, a guitar and I'd like you to have it. So he came to Macau to meet my parents to drop it off. Uh, and my dad sent me photos. My dad's also a guitar collector. So he, he's into watches and guitars. I'm basically the exact same person as he is, just uh, taller, skinnier, better looking, younger. Um, <laughs> All the important things. But uh, um, So he received it. He sent me photos. And it uses this wood called Filipino rosewood. And it's I've, I've never heard of it before, but it has this like beautiful, thick grain. Um, there, are, there are a couple of manufacturing inconsistencies, which I later found out is totally normal because it's a completely handmade guitar. But it has really nice abalone inlays, um, all these like nice bevels for the forearm and the cutaway on, on the body itself. So I finally got here, super excited to play it. And it is one of the best sounding and best playing guitars I've probably ever played in my life. And um, so I've been using that pretty much every day. Um, and then I decided since it's a new guitar, I'm, I'm still like kind of break it in a little bit and uh, trying to form my opinion on it. So what I wanted to do was play the strings that came with it, brand new strings. I want to play it until they basically rot off. And I wanted to try it out with a new pair of strings or a new set of strings rather that I've never used before. And they're these new Adario, uh, Diodario coated strings. I usually use Elixir, which is, um, you know, I, I've been using it for years and they have a coating on it that prevents it from corroding and, and rusting and snapping off. And Diodario decided to do the exact same thing. And I haven't put it on yet. I'm still trying to rot the current strings away. But as soon as those are gone, I'm going to try these new strings out on this new guitar. And I am really excited. Very cool. Very cool. You know, I, I'd like to give a quick stuff than us. You, you are. You're doing cooler stuff. I'd, I'd like to give a quick shit out. Shout shit out. Uh oh. No, we're, we're, we're done talking about hot sauce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd like to give a quick shout out to the Long Roads podcast, which is your podcast with your business partner, Colin. Uh, you guys did a few weeks ago, you released uh, an episode that was, it, it's not a watch podcast, right? That's what you guys say. It's not a watch podcast. Uh, although yeah, naturally, you guys tend to talk about watches from time to time. However, your uh, episode where you guys talked about your musical history, how you guys met, uh, your musical projects was super fun, super duper fun. One of my one of my favorite sort of non watch watch podcast uh, listening experiences. But you guys played a John Mayer song at the end of that episode called Queen of Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and it was phenomenal and i begged you to send me a copy of it on mp3 which you did which i've got on my playlist now and i've been listening to uh but quick shout out to that show because it's super fun if you haven't listened to it at home check it out long roads podcast 
Uh, it, it's Wes, who's here with us today, and his partner, Colin, the, the brains behind Notice Watches. Phenomenal listening. Always very good. Very entertaining. Also known as That's the awesome, Loom man. Goblin. Don't also known as the what? <laughs> the Loom Goblin. Oh, He's yeah. in the basement <laughs> right now, sniffing <laughs> Loom. <laughs> So, so that was very that was very cool. Uh, that was very cool, and so I wanted to give a quick shout out, uh, Wes. Before we wrap up, anything you want to say to these people? Uh, no, thank thank you guys for having me on. Um, you know, definitely strange times. So I, every time I do something that's somewhat public facing, I try to encourage everyone just to be responsible and stay in. I know, like with with all the news going out, we don't want to talk anymore about the coronavirus and economy and stupid shit like that, but. You know, it's important that we stay responsible and stay in and we all do our part to help out. And, um, you know, as far as notice goes, we're still chugging ahead. We're still releasing what we can. Uh, lately, our attention has been placed more on actually securing masks. It's, it's kind of funny how where where all of this stuff goes, right? Like running a watch company has led me down a path where now I'm, I'm soliciting mask purchases in the U.S., um, but yeah, so that that's kind of how we're trying to play our little part in in this thing, and I think everyone should play their own part, even if that means just staying inside and, you know, staying safe and washing your hands. Amen. Watch your hands. Stay at home. America. And Macau. Yeah, and Macau. Yeah. And everywhere in between. <laughs> yeah. Also that. <laughs> all those. All, all the places. Well. Andrew, do you got anything else? Do you got anything else before we go today? I don't. All right. Well, I guess it's that time then. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Forty and Twenty. Wes, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys. I'll have uh, I'll have you guys come on to Long Roads at some point too. We'll love it. Love it. Can't wait. Check us out on Instagram at Forty and Twenty. Also, check us out on patreon.com slash 40 and 20. That's where we get the support for the show. That's how we keep these episodes coming every week. That's how we pay for our hosting and our supplies and our hardware, etc. Check out Notice Watches. Seriously, you guys, Notice Watches are making the best watches in the microbrain game. They're extremely affordable, and the quality is up there with anything else you can get at two or three times the price. Uh, yeah, that's it. Don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.